I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. I'm with my friend Charlie Deist, who is not only the technician, he also keeps me on track with occasional questions and timely summarizations. This is episode 18, The Cloister in the Cul-de-Sac, How We Can Create Community at Home. All right, David, so this morning we are indoors. The heavy rains have us uh, out of the garden where we normally do the podcast, but it's going to be uh, business as usual. And we're picking up from where we left off last week, talking about uh, this series that we're doing, the, the cloister in the cul-de-sac, uh, kind of how to take elements of monastic life in the early church uh, to create communities and kind of imitate the practices of the early church uh, in our modern world. And last week, I started to get ahead of myself when we were talking about what you can do within the parish. I wanted to know, you know, what else you could do outside of the parish. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to kind of backtrack just to stay on topic. But uh, quickly, if we can summarize what we were talking about last week with the parish model, uh, what what is your biggest suggestion to people who are currently in the church, but maybe a little bit dissatisfied with what they're seeing in their local parish in terms of community. Right, yes. So uh, we'll, we'll get on to what you wanted to hear about last week. We'll get on to that uh, in a moment. Uh, but the, uh, what, the, the essence of this is that we have to uh, consider firstly what we're doing rather than what others are doing. We, we, and this extends right the way through the, the whole uh, idea that we're presenting here is that for the most part I can't control what other people do. I can just uh, consider what I'm doing and ask myself if I'm doing the right thing. And if I am, um, as uh, was said to me in regard to spiritual matters, it is in the trying that we are successful, that whatever we change externally, we are, we are transformed ourselves in doing what is right and extending ourselves for others, no matter how it's received. Uh, okay, so in regard to the parish, uh, remember that there are these uh, four basic principles of things that we try to do. Uh, the areas in which uh, it is felt probably we have charisms to, uh, to serve the, the religious community that we're part of, uh, which for most of us will be a parish. So one is in the is liturgy and worship. Uh, clearly the pastor has a key role to play in this. Uh, but there are things that lay people can do, uh, most certainly. Um, so contributing to the worship, to the choir, to the organisation of it, um, that, ha- that we want that to be sound and orthodox and beautiful and dignified, and uh, we could talk forever on what needs to be done in the liturgy in most places, uh, but the, as always we think, well, what can I do and what can I do constructively? Um, is my own, uh, right down to, is my own demeanour uh, appropriate, regardless of what other people are doing. Uh, the second point is uh, social, uh, hospitality. And uh, the I've been impressed by the places that, act, that not just have the coffee and donuts, so, you know, the coffee social, Actually, make I have my a, own issues with coffee and donuts, but we'll, we'll save those for another day. <laughs> well, we could devote a whole session to that, I think. Coffee's yeah. fine. <laughs> um, but, by the way, you should go for the uh, 
65% fat-free donuts that I once heard uh, advertised. Oh, no, you're taking away the only good part of the donut. The so only a, nutrition in the donut comes well, from the No, it still leaves you 35% fat. Anyway, so putting the donuts aside, which could still be there, by the way, um, it, actually having a sit-down meal after the Sunday worship, and this means, therefore, that the focus is Sunday morning, really. Uh, I suppose you could have a, an evening, Saturday evening, Saturday meal could work as well. But actually having something where you're sitting down at a table, it doesn't need to be uh, a, you know, a five-course meal or something, but um, actually enabling people to sit down and talk and spend time with each other. Um, and I noticed that even uh, when people need to rush away, they will sit down and even spend 15 minutes sitting and talking. Uh, then... Uh, and people can contribute to that. Uh, so the social, and again, this is something that people can get involved in. Uh, the next element uh, is the uh, education. So Sunday school, but also uh, Father uh, Sebastian has a weekly Bible class. Uh, he's a scripture scholar, so <laughs> the people at St. Elias are extremely lucky. Uh, but education for all people continuing education and really again uh, with the uh, what the church would call this traditionally mystagogy a deepening of the mysteries is what we're aiming for here um, and the educators can be lay people it doesn't need to be the pastor and remember we said that men and women together teaching especially for children as, as a then the the the, the that naturally suggests the family, that mother and father are teachers in the family. Uh, and finally, charity. Uh, charity meaning um, giving of time and money, alms giving, um, and that can be within the community and then the community as a whole giving externally. Um, and the point was made that if those things are present, then uh, naturally evangelization will occur um, that we're doing the basic activities that will uh, enable people to come in and, and like what they see it, it, that'll be a well-functioning parish but also that we mustn't uh, ignore the supernatural that by doing this uh, people will be drawn in some way to what we're doing that this this enables the love of God to come in despite us working with the material like you and me, Charlie, you know, that even then that can happen. So those are the basic ideas. The next thought then is how can we do this um, in, in our, a situation outside the parish? So um, it may be that the parish isn't enough or it may be that you just want to do something in addition to that. I, I tend to want to organise things as well <clears throat> and these these principles it occurs to me can be applied um, in the situation where you are now where I am now uh, we can start to organize things do things that uh, use these principles in some way and, and then what's happening is they're participating in uh, this uh, these principles that uh, drew people to the early church and we've just described to the parish um, and so it then becomes an extension if you like of the Christian community um, so uh, the, an important point I would say that uh, needs to be made is 
uh, and I, I made this last week, uh, what I had to do was get away from this um, mentality of the consumer that um, I'm looking for that group which is going to give me what I need. Now, to a degree, it's worth doing that and I don't want to just settle for the first thing that crosses my path. Um, so I do look discerningly, but I must have as well an attitude of what am I giving? What am I contributing? Um, and when I do that, then it's possible to create the fellowship and the community that I seek. And even if nobody is interested in what I'm offering, the very act of trying to do this, of thinking about it, putting myself out there in some way, not everyone is an extrovert. I, I'm um, ho about halfway. I, I'm certainly, I swing between introversion and I like to be with people, but at some point I have to withdraw and be on my own. I'm not the most extroverted person. Um, but regardless of our temperament, it's, it's just thinking about doing something like that, perhaps playing to our natural strengths. Um, but in the trying, uh, what I always feel happens is that the love of God comes in when we give of ourselves to others. So in the trying, we are successful. We, we are transformed. Um, and so much of the loneliness that um, is expressed, and I, I, here I'm going from my own experience before I found the faith, is not really a, a problem with modern society as such. It's a problem with me. <laughs> Each person uh, if they, is feeling something which is, alter, which is really a lack of God. Um, now, that will never be removed altogether, but uh, certainly there were things that I could do. Yeah, so you talked about these four planks uh, within the parish. We could maybe liken them to a, a four-legged stool where we have liturgy, social element, or the hospitality. That could be the, the meal, um, education, uh, and then charity. And all four of these things add up to, if you do them right, effective evangelization because you have a community that is thriving and, and it sort of sends the message that there's something more going on here than what people are maybe accustomed to thinking of when they think of the, uh, maybe they had bad experiences going to church growing up or uh, whatever it might be, that, that these four things add up to, a, to evangelization. Um, and we talked about how uh, even if things are not particularly well developed along these lines already, you can maybe just consider that as all the more opportunity to uh, to, to do something yourself. Yes. But outside of church, uh, these same, the principles underlying these can also be applied. Uh, so what are some of the ways we can just, we'll start through the list that you have here of uh, different ideas for things outside of the parish, outside of the Sunday worship. Um, where should we start? Well, I, these are just uh, uh, random things that came to my mind that I've tried in the past with varying degrees of success, but always felt were worth doing uh, for the, the effect that it had on me. So one is getting a group of people together to pray Vespers, for example, actually um, doing that. And then coming back to this thing of myself as part of my personal piety, my personal prayer, praying the Liturgy of the Hours, because then I am uh, in communion, in a sense. I, I'm not 
taking communion, but I am in connection with the church. I'm praying with the church. And so I'm praying liturgically, praying the songs. That's the essence of it. And we'll talk a little bit more about the possibilities for that uh, in a future podcast in, the, in this series. Um, but even, even though I pray this daily and I, I, it's part of my prayer and it's, it's developed and uh, deepened over the years, I've been doing it for several years now, I think it's good to develop a group of people that come together regularly and pray so that maybe they go away. Some, will, when they go away, will um, engage in the Liturgy of the Hours every day, like me. Some will only do it the next time they come back. Uh, but what you're doing then is creating a little uh, community in prayer. Um, and you can add, now, now for some, that will be enough. So we have a little group on Mondays at the moment with my, with my brother comes along. Uh, and we're trying then, the thought is that we might take that out to prisons or something. We're, we're learning to sing it. But of course, what we're doing is praying together. Um, and so that's the main purpose for us getting together. With other groups, you could have the, a Vespers and a meal or something like that. And the Vespers is something that you do with the meal. But then the social aspect is what is the, the strong attraction, if you like. Uh, so you can build these sort of things in. But I don't think it can be underestimated how trying to combine these things together, introducing people to the prayer a little bit, um, even when you have a dinner party. Uh, now you have to pick your people, but you know the, the, if you find a group that likes to get together regularly, I think that's what I'm always searching for. So you disperse, you go away and you do things separately individually but coming together uh, monthly every two months uh, is a great thing to do um, so we have potlucks uh, and so th another thing that we do is just uh, have a combination of a potluck and now we've added a talk we're lucky to have father brad elliott close by um, and so he leads a, a talk and discussion uh, on Catholic social teaching, which we do here every two months. He's, he enjoys doing that. We're absolutely delighted that he wants to. So every couple of months we do that. But we have a... Um, uh, my interest is in the, the, the things that he's talking about especially. And it's educational for me and for the others. But it's combined with a social thing. We just do it here at the convent where we live. Um, we have a potluck and we pray Vespers. And it was interesting that Father Brad wanted us to do the full version, the full songs and everything when we, when we did that. So there's something where the main purpose, you might say, is educational, but clearly there's a strong social element mm -hmm. and the prayer element. So you can bind these things in. And for something like that, every two months seems like a nice rhythm. Uh, and there's a little bit of overlap between that group and the first group. And you start to see people... Uh, coming together in that way. In fact, I remember now the uh, we did the Vespers at the first of the talks that Father Brad did, and one of the guys at the Vespers just said, "I've never done that before. I'd like to do this regularly." So that was what prompted us to start the weekly Vespers group here. With would actually begin something where we would learn to sing it. Uh, so these things can feed into one another and. and these cross connections, if you like, build up community. Who was it that mentioned the quote uh, during one of our Vespers sessions recently? Was it St. Augustine uh, on that when you sing, you pray twice? 
Yes, I think it was Chris who was the one who Chris, uh, our friend Chris. Um, I always like to add to that and say when you when you pray with visual imagery, you pray pray three times. When you consider your posture, you pray four times, engaging the whole person, uh, all the the senses. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, four, four dimensional prayer. <laughs> I guess I guess everything we do is four dimensional in a certain sense. It's just the three dimensions plus time. Yeah. But this is some sort of. Uh, you know, supercharged prayer, and it can it can have an effect. I think of uh, you know, even even if uh, there are times when maybe you feel like it's the end of a day, you just want to do your own thing or surf the internet. I've I've found at least from those vespers that we do, I always come away feeling very glad and and sort of it's it's just a that's sustenance for for my week yes supercharged is right it, it sounds like it might be exaggerated language but the it is first of all it is the prayer of community it is that prayer the the, the liturgy of the hours that binds people together especially um with as an extension of sunday mass so it's most powerful of course for those that are attending mass as well and uh, but it is something that you can invite non-Catholics to, and it works very well, and they don't feel threatened by it. Um, but the Catechism actually says it, that, that next, next to the Mass, there is nothing more powerful or effective. It, this is this is a strong form of prayer that is especially uh, helpful for groups of people coming together. It 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 it, it extends the the uh, the community out into our day and our daily lives. Okay, so uh, the next thing is giving of time and money. So uh, this is where I am. I, I'm not so bad on time. Money, I'm not great. <laughs> really admit. I, my excuse is always I don't have much, but I'm always impressed actually by, as an Englishman coming to America, uh, at the generosity of Americans in giving, charitable giving, I don't know where they are in the league in the world, but Britain isn't bad. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't want the country to be judged by me, uh, but I'm always impressed by how generous Americans are. Actually, it's a great national trait that I don't know if you're aware how strong it is. But it's uh, the giving of time and money uh, can be important. So. I can foresee, for example, that as these groups get together, when you have that regularity, then we notice opportunities to be of help. If we, that bond of trust develops so that if somebody is suffering in some way, you need to know people well uh, to go beyond family, for example, when you need something. Um, but the, the hope here is that in time you might get into that situation where people can naturally extend themselves. And that comes with regularity, um, and uh, continually uh, participating. Um, but also, we can offer this uh, externally um, in terms of the, the prayer and the community, the, this, the, the conviviality, the communion, the, the, the fellowship can be extended to others. So we invite people in, but also I'm interested in trying to take this out. So... Uh, taking Vespers in, into prison is something that I want to do with this little group that we have. 
uh, I think we've decided that we, you know, we need perhaps after the, in the new year, uh, we might be at a level where we think we can do this and actually take it to, to prisoners, this little group of men that we have. Um, but anywhere, in, the, in a mall or something, there is a... Um, I, I know that some hotels have chapels. I think it's the uh, the one in the, the, the there's a hotel a, a ring a, a line of hotels owned by a, a prominent Catholic and I forget his name and I forget the, the hotel so I should be advertising but I can't remember so apologies to you whoever you are you listening um, but I know that he always puts a chapel in his hotels and I just thought that a great use for that as well as allowing a community to become a parish church on a Sunday, which I know uh, is done for one of them actually, for an ordinariate, uh, Anglican ordinariate uh, parish meets in this chapel uh, that he has created. Um, you could actually have um, people who are committed to seeing the liturgy of the hours take place in that chapel. Uh, and you could do this at the parish church as well, um, as much as possible. So rather like you have a rota of people who do the, the uh, adoration, which is a wonderful thing to do, so that, that between the uh, all the people who contribute, there is continuous adoration. And some churches manage to keep this up for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, why not think in those terms for the Liturgy of the Hours as well? I, do, I, I can't do the whole lot, but I can do Wednesday Vespers. And the more that that is done, uh, the better it is. So it's one of those things that it doesn't have to be done fully. Just to do it a little bit is worth doing. It's better than not to do it at all. Yeah. I'm thinking again about this stool metaphor because my experience having a, a stronger community, and a lot of that for me has been centered around this community at St. Jerome's, uh, but also I think having a little bit of a parish community uh, where I feel kind of at home, uh, it's made me much more secure in going out into the world and having interactions with people where my uh, discipleship somehow comes into the conversation or, you know, where, where it becomes known that I'm a Christian, where maybe when I was uh, kind of earlier in my uh, conversion, it was always a little bit scary to put that out there or, right. you know, the idea of going out uh, into prisons and singing the Vespers, I think would have been a strange concept to me just a few years ago. But now I, I can embrace that a lot more as uh, as something that, just having a foundation. So that's where I think that, going back to the message of the last show, having that foundation uh, plays into this, this next part of going out into the world. And isn't that what uh, mass really is all mm. about? It's, you know, taking what, what uh, what you receive from uh, communion in the mass and going out, going forth, and bringing it out into the world. Yes, that's wonderful to hear. Actually, just very nice to hear. Because how long is it since you converted? It, it's a couple of years or something? five years or so. Oh, it's five but, years, but okay, two years since becoming Catholic. Okay, right. So two years as a Catholic. Um, no, that's great, and uh, that's what we hope for. So that's terrific to hear. Thank you. Um, the other thing that uh, occurred to me when you were talking about yeah. <clears throat> uh, kind of these forms of charity that are 
uh, closer to specific individuals. Last time we talked about how sometimes charitable giving can get too far detached uh, and that can have problems with the alignment of incentives or it can just become uh, a sort of, you know, these sterile institutions. Um, And I think that the value in going out and encountering other people who you wouldn't normally encounter in your daily life, it not only has potentially a benefit to that person if you're able to share something with them, share a spiritual form, you know, your, your spirituality, uh, but also it really does, I think, have a profound effect on you do just doing it and meeting yes. meeting another person that's certainly true i always um has I, it's not just my selfishness although that's a large part to play but when i think about giving money I, I sometimes i just think i'm not sure where to give it i don't i don't know where it's going i don't know um how much is actually going for its intended use i don't know how it's really helping with the even if it's doing what they say they're going to do with it is that actually useful? And because of this aspect that you're bringing out, the dignity of the person needs to be there. And so much of that is more than simply uh, material things. Um, so, and that is my hesitation. In the end, in fact, what I've decided, I've settled finally settled upon a regular gift to my parish and I sort of work out what I can give. And I've only just set that up <laughs> so I did other things but it was a little bit ad hoc and I and I found I would get to the end and think well actually I haven't given very much um so uh, but time I'm better on and I think because my instinct is exactly what you, you say that you're conscious that if somebody's there willingly and you're they, they you know they're free to walk away if we I start singing and they everybody flees <laughs> which might might happen um if they don't do that and they want to join in, then you think, okay, there's something going on here that is people voluntarily interacting and it preserves the dignity of the human person. So, yeah, I, I agree with you very strongly there. Um, so... Uh, What's next on our... On our list? List. Uh, well, the other thing is uh, offering to teach others what we know of the faith, I think. Um, so... Uh, I, as you know, wrote this book, The Vision for You, which was about the guidance I was given and the way I was evangelised from this guy, David, who I talk about all the time. Now, uh, I wrote the book. Uh, I didn't know what interest there would be. I I felt it was good and, and that people, it's something I thought people ought to be interested in but whether they would be I, I didn't know now it's not hit the the new york times bestseller list but we're trying hard aren't we um but nevertheless um i wrote in the book that i would be happy to take people through this process and as long as i had the time i i will do so free of charge uh, i'm not averse to making money from this as well by the way i don't think that that's a ba- necessarily a bad thing but Part of me, I always feel, ought to be giving this freely. At least, at least I should be reserving some time to give this uh, free of charge because uh, even if it becomes something that I maybe in the future make a living from, I, I don't know, I don't, I'm not expecting that. But, um, but what has happened is that people have got in touch. Several, one or two people uh, every month contact me and say, I'd like to go through this. 
And so I do my best to take them through. We do. We have regular Skype sessions. Um, and it's a wonderful thing to see them benefiting and getting this. And all I do is just share my experience. I, I offer my experience. Um, and uh, to the degree that they ask, I might uh, offer um, some sort of opinions and knowledge. Uh, you know, I'm 56. I've gained a little bit by this stage in my life. But for the most part, you don't need to be a great expert in things if you've lived a life and all of us have um, and we can offer some positive experience um, and this is the other thing that David did with me was that he always were just the reason I trusted him was that he didn't actually tell me to do things he always just talked about what he'd done and invited me to do the same in, in that way and he said this to me he said you're the world's number one expert in your life so if you just talk about your life and experiences, make it clear when you're going beyond that, then, then you'll find that people will be inclined to listen. Some people will be inclined to listen. And everybody has something to offer others in virtue of their life. Um, nobody is, a complete, complete, is, is an utter failure. Um, and, and our failures can be the things that, uh, when we learn from them, can be our greatest strength as well. Uh, that's that's what happened to me so um, being available I think to pass it on uh, now and in a way that we develop this uh, the, the technique if, if I can call it that the, we, we need to know how to do that uh, but in a way that's appropriate to the people we're talking to to the situation in a way that builds up trust um, so that we don't push people off um, and that can be learned and developed but as a general rule, that's what David said to me. Just talk about your experiences, and if people are interested, they'll ask you. Um, and I don't want to claim that thousands are knocking at my door, but some do. And I don't think that that's remarkable. Uh, I think that everybody is in a situation where they have something to offer others in the light of the, the wisdom they have. And especially if you're involved in these sort of things, uh, the spiritual life, the Christian spiritual life, uh, more than any other, uh, offers divine wisdom. The, 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 the Holy Spirit is there and that things can happen despite ourselves, uh, I think. Amen. Well, uh, on that idea, yeah. if, if we're going to educate other people, we've got our own experience, but there's also our own experience should, if we've had a you know, good, solid formation, include some knowledge of the faith. And you mentioned that. Yes. So where can we get that sort of knowledge and where where have you found it and where might other people look outside of uh just going to mass and hearing a small a small amount of the just scripture from the reading <laughs> yeah so um in regard to this i would start with the, the thing that i the longer i go on i think is important is scripture and and relating that to the practice of the faith especially worship and liturgy understanding the psalms if we're going to pray it so pontifex university of course um, offers courses in these um, that it's interesting that right at the core of the master of sacred arts there's a lot of scripture uh, and there's philosophy as well even though this is about sacred arts that that we have to be formed as people um, to understand the faith if we're going to to represent it in any way whether we're talking about it or painting it 
that formation is there. Um, so people could audit those things, but um, also Father Sebastian Carnazzo has a weekly Bible class, which he does via Zoom. And if anybody wants to go to the St. Elias website, stelias.org, I think, uh, we'll, po- we'll post it up. Uh, you can just tune in. I think it's every Tuesday evening. And he is a scripture scholar who just offers his time free uh, to pe- anyone who is interested. Um, so you can look around. Um, you can start to read books. If you find somebody who is enthusiastic about this, so I'm thinking of Father Brad, for example, who is um, gives us talks on Catholic social teaching. He's a Dominican. Uh, he is enthusiastic about this, and he comes and uh, he wants to tell people who are interested. And you'll, I think you'll find that, uh, to a large degree, people want to pass this on. Um, but that's that's where I would start. They they call this mystagogy, uh, the deepening of the mysteries, and it's the uh, the deepening of the faith, the study which contributes to our practice, so that we can grasp it in our hearts. Um, so that the Christian life is deepened and enriched after the the rites of initiation. So this is a continuous process. Another thing, of course, while it's on my mind, is Pontifex University Press's latest book by Father Geoffrey Kirby, uh, God's Search for Us. Now that's a meditation upon the uh, deepest action of love of God. Uh, Now that in itself... Uh, the meditation upon it, if we're just treating it as an intellectual exercise, uh, is, will not do what we want uh, uh, to happen to people. Uh, but the, the, the hope of meditation is that it will then, we will grasp it and think about it, and it, it will give us a, a, a greater sense of what we're participating in in the worship of God. So his book is um, a meditation on this dynamic of love that uh, takes place between God and man. Um, And the idea is that God gives himself to us first. And our primary um, move, movement, if you like, towards God is not a search for him, but it's actually an acceptance, an ordered acceptance of of his love. Uh, Benedict calls this eros, uh, Benedict XVI, uh, in his uh, encyclicals. Uh, so that desire for something, which we, we know just from the name eros, erotic, you know, can be distorted, um, but also it can be w- properly ordered, whether it's to a spouse, to a friend, or to God, and, and it's an ordered acceptance of the, the gift of the other. And so meditations on those aspects of the faith in the light of our worship are useful as well. And you can have book studies, for example. Uh, and again, that have a meal, pray, read the book together. You don't need an expert. Let the book be your expert. All these things uh, are great ideas, I think. Yes, it does seem like experience is one of the most powerful teachers, but helping to understand that experience, uh, I've found that it has been very helpful to try to deepen my knowledge of scripture and I've found a few resources early on it was it was a lot of uh, just kind of uh, transcribed sermons and podcasts people with 
with uh, who had spent their lives studying this. Are there any specific places that you would point people to? You mentioned that the, there's the Bible study. I think St. Elias also posts their sermons, uh, which tend to have a lot of real meat to them, the historical context, lives of saints, things like that. Um, yes, yeah, St. Elias does that. I, I, no, none of us come to mind at the moment. Uh, the, the podcast world, uh, of course, we're participating in this now, is I just think this is one of the great things of the, the modern age, really, um, that what is available to you. So I started to listen a little bit to Patrick Coffin's podcasts. Um, and the reason I did that was because uh, Rachel Fulton Brown, who's been on our podcast, uh, referred me to one of the ones that he was doing. Now, he tends to talk about the politics of the church a little bit. It's not, it's not the ones I've seen are not spirituality. But I would just search around for these things. And my experience is that as you start to look, there are always rich seams to mine. One person leads to another. Um, and Rachel, actually, particularly, I've been following her a little bit. And she is a, a new convert, but she has things to say about Mary and the faith and the scripture content, aside from everything else, which I like, that she, she talks about a lot of things, um, but uh, delving into politics as well. And, and I tend to agree with her on most things, so that helps. Uh, but the thing that's underestimated um, with regard to her is the contribution she, I feel she makes, the, what she's talking about in terms of uh, devotion to Mary and, and, and traditionally how the, the form this took. Yeah. So uh, we've talked about some of the things we can do. There's there's singing, praying vespers, uh, having a shared meal, giving of time and money, which includes a lot of these lay apostolates, uh, you know, finding worthy causes, giving to your own parish, uh, finding opportunities to teach other people what you've learned through this education. Uh, but at the foundation of all of this, it seems like there needs to be just a, a rich life of prayer and you mentioned father jeffrey's book about uh it's called god's search for us and it kind of flips this idea on its head of all of the spiritual seeking that sometimes leads to dead ends yes in the modern world instead he's saying that it's god who's searching for us and it's our task to kind of rest in that or what what did you say to, to receive an ordered uh, acceptance of of the hand of love so it's Yes, the, the way that I think of this is it's not as if we're utterly immobile and passive. There are certain things that we do to cooperate with God's grace. Uh, but that's what we're aiming to do. He is there. The, uh, the, I, I, I was told that Pascal said this, but I tried to look it up on Google, which is the font of all knowledge, and couldn't find it attributed to him. But anyway, whoever said it, um, what I was told is Pascal said, if you're looking for God, rejoice you have found him in other words you just have to go out there and look uh, and so i modified that for uh, this book and i said if you're looking for god rejoice he has found you mm. um, but as you say our capacity our facility for doing that can be cultivated as well it's not a case of just being overwhelmed by an emotional surge prayer is the process by which we develop that facility for ordered acceptance of God and so if we just do it it will develop and that's how I started right at the beginning um, 
And I think that that that's, is probably a good place to to stop. And perhaps next week or next time uh, in this series, we can focus on that personal piety. Yeah, we already have done a few podcasts on this topic. People can find the episodes about praying with visual imagery. Uh, and was that all, or did we do some others on on prayer? Um, certainly the uh, contemplation. Okay. Uh, yeah, so right. contemplative prayer and the principles uh, we talked about. But I'm going to try and pull this together, I think. It, it might be one of these sessions or maybe a couple and, and give some structure to this a little bit. All right, great. Well, uh, we will be back next week with uh, diving deeper into this idea of personal piety and spirituality and developing a more rich prayer life. Thank you, David. Pleasure. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. For more information, go to thewayofbeauty.org. And if you want to buy the book, go to Amazon.com.